The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome once again to NDE Radio with me, Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening by podcast on TalkZone or through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel. Part of the return process many people go through when experiencing an NDE is integrating the experience into the life they've been leading on Earth prior to that NDE. Some folks do it immediately, while others may take years to recognize the importance of the experience and why it was personalized for them in the way that it was. Career-wise, many NDEers have changed their prior priority focus of making money to uh, finding a path for helping others. Creative artists and musicians, on the other hand, may see the nature of their work redefined in light of the colors, the patterns, the vibrations and harmonies they witnessed on the other side. Most profoundly, perhaps, is the, it's the interaction with family and friends that changes to fit the revised direction of their lives. Our guest today, Nancy Lapari, has been an active contributor to the St. Louis professional art scene as the founding member and president and acting executive director of Art St. Louis from 1984 to 1990. Art St. Louis offers ongoing support for local artists and gallery and corporate settings. And working with them, Nancy produced and hosted Art in Perspective, a cable program which presented interviews discussing the creative process with local artists as well as artists in France, Japan, and China. Specializing in mixed media, Nancy's artwork is represented in many public installations, as well as in corporate and private art collections in St. Louis, Sedona, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Chicago, Portland, Oregon, and England. One afternoon in 1975, uh, while trying to cut a tree branch above her rooftop, then the 32-year-old Nancy climbed to the do not use this as a step, top step on her ladder. The ladder slipped and fell, and she fell from roof height, landing bent double over the back of a wrought iron chair. Now, here to tell you what happened from that fall is Nancy Lapari herself. Nancy, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, I'm uh, delighted to be here. Well, uh, we're delighted to have you here. So uh, they rushed you off to the hospital and uh, promptly misdiagnosed you. That's true. Um, They didn't find anything wrong and decided that it would be fine to send me home. Nothing was broken. However, I had um, a deep feeling that things were not right internally, and that if I was dismissed and sent home, I would not make it through the night. Mm -hmm. So uh, in talking this over with my husband uh, at the time, we called upon a doctor in neurosurgery to go ahead and get me admitted. And it was his cooperation that made all the difference for me. Wow. <clears throat> so they began um, a series of tests. And now remember, this was in 1975. So the MRI was just either barely new or just out there. And they didn't try that on me for several days. So they just couldn't diagnose it. But when they did use the MRI, they found out that there was uh, damage to my liver, that it had been punctured. My intestine had been punctured by the back of the wrought iron chair. 
And, um, and then because of the delay, gangrene had set in. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) So I think what they did was, you know, uh, spread everything out on a table, vacuum me out and put me all back together. Um, So it was during that time that I had my NDE. Yes. And um, my head, my husband had called my mother to come in town to help with the children. And um, subsequently, she was the first person that I told about the NDE. And my husband was secondarily informed. And they were the only two people that I felt comfortable speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she she sat with you, didn't she, in the hospital? Yeah, she did. And when you when you first left your body, you said you not only saw your body, but you saw your mom sitting there as well. Tell us about that, how the how your NDE started. Well, I saw myself. uh, I was looking down and I saw myself lying on the operating table. And um, I thought, how can this be? I'm (laughs) up here. My body is down there. So it just like seemed impossible to me that that could even happen. And as I was just floating there, watching myself, um, I turned and there was a sound to the back of me. And I turned to look at it and a tunnel opened up and I began my ascent. Mm-hmm. Now, the, at the time, of course, I hadn't read anything about NDE. So I didn't know about the tunnel and it was very disconcerting, not frightening, but disconcerting. And um, it was multicolored and it was in constant swirling motion. So I felt, you know, you felt like I could only say I felt like I was floating through this um, space I didn't feel intimidated, but I didn't know where I was going either. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, there was music, there was sound, it was multicolored, it was beautiful, but again, disorienting. So I finally saw an, a light at the end of the tunnel. And when I got closer, as I got closer to that, there were three light beings there, which uh, looked like candle flames. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I thought of them as the welcoming committee, right? I just come through a tunnel and I was in a strange place and there were three beings there emanating light. And uh, so I said to them, well, where are the angels? And they laughed and said, we don't need to be angels because you don't believe in them. And we all laughed at that. And when I say they look like candle flames, what I'm trying to describe is uh, pure energy, light and energy. And um, they were welcoming, so it felt friendly. I didn't know them as any particular person or personality like Aunt Sue, you know, but I did feel a bond with them and no intimidation. And so they took me to um, a place that was similar to a dome, uh, some sort of a dome like we have in the 
uh, movie theaters that play this stuff all over the walls. However, uh, there was no talking. It was all thought transference. And, you know, you I didn't, um, you know, if you call me and I've talked to you, I know who you are. I don't have to see you. I know your voice. It felt like that to me. So they, they took me into this dome and was, I was given a life review. Now, the life review was very fascinating because there was no judgment, no condemnation. And you could move it at the speed of light so that you didn't look at it and then it would stop and you'd be in focus with an incident in the past. And you would feel whatever was happening in the room, you'd feel it from other people's perspective. So if if I had unintentionally hurt someone's uh, feelings, then I felt it from their perspective. And that, as time went by, that gave me a lot of thought afterwards. But during the time I was there during the NDE, it wasn't frightening because I didn't feel a sense of judgment or condemnation, just supportive. um, Do you see what happens kind of a feeling? And after that, I was quite concerned about the planet. So I asked them if the, the planet was going to be all right. There was a water shortage and just like the turmoil that's going on today worldwide. Um, I was concerned about that, and they took me on uh, some trips, I would say, to, to different locations, it felt like, but in different environments. I don't remember them, but it was different realities than we used to experience here, because the light, the sound, the colors were so enhanced. Uh, it's like when we used to have only monotone sound and then suddenly you've got stereo. Everything was iridescent, moving like waves in motion. Um, a whole different kind of environment. And, you know, there was no pizza. So uh, I was, uh, you know, and my, my husband now, he wants to be a doo-wop. He wants to know if there's a doo-wop fan. So uh, we have our own ideas of what heaven is like. And uh, it, but this was totally different than anything I had ever experienced or even thought about. Hmm. You, you've described the language that um, you were hearing as iridescent, which I thought was an interesting way to describe words, even telepathically delivered words. Um, you said um, they have an iridescent language that's not familiar to humans. What uh, what did they talk about while you were making this this tour? Well, you know, as I, they were just reassuring me and saying, "See, all this is going on, and all that's going on." And what they were trying to tell me, I believe, is that life is eternal. And that there are different realities than what we experience here on Earth in um, a, a different vibration level. So they didn't say that in words, but uh, that's what they were showing me. Life is eternal. 
And um, that was pretty fantastic right there. <laughs> yes. Did you have any sense that, um, say, if you were looking at a different world or a different uh, race on Earth, that uh, that there was an opportunity to reincarnate into that? Or was this just a, a review of what everyone else was doing? Well, the review was about incidents that I was involved in so I could look at them. I see. From, from other points of view, which, you know, instead of, if you, if you stop to think about it, if your version of hell was having to sit through all the pain and suffering you cause other people, that would be interesting. Um, That would be an interesting way to frame what we call hell. Uh, For the most part, uh, I was flooded with light. Everything was light, radiating love. Um, And so it wasn't frightening in any way. And other realities, could I come back here? I believe, yes, I, we can choose to come back mm-hmm. as a person. I don't think we come back as a plant. Once, uh, you know, humans have self-awareness, and that was a, a huge step forward. And I don't think once we've awakened to that, we don't go backwards. We just evolve forwards. Again, I'm not quoting the beings. Those are my own conclusions from the experience. Uh, so, were you allowed to remember uh, much of what you saw? Not much. And they told me that I wouldn't remember much. And the reason was for my own protection, uh, because I had to reintegrate into life here. Now, I didn't know. They did ask me the final the way I left this incredible experience with the light. First of all, I want to say I did see this huge, wonderful, what the other NDEers describe as the white light, the all encompassing light. And um, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. You just merge with it. Like you're coming home and you feel so, um, heard and loved and appreciated um, and totally at one and at peace that uh, it's just an incredible experience. And I think that's something that we long for. Um, Whether we know that longing is there or not, it, once you've had that, why would you be in such a rush to come here? You know, (laughs) it's just too wonderful. Um, so they said to me, well, what's next Nance? And they call me Nance, which no one called me Nance. So that, that always stuck in my head. But, uh, I said, uh, would it make any difference to anyone in my family if I didn't come back? Now I had young children. I was a happily married woman in the Midwest in Missouri. and I had a very nice life, you know, making art, doing my thing with uh, my family, making cookies and bread and homemade bread and all good things. So, um, but I said, would it make any difference? Because I really was tempted to stay. 
And the light beings said to me, or angels, which is more the vernacular people are used to, um, they said to me, yes, it would make a difference. It would make a difference to my son. So upon hearing or understanding that from them, I, I decided to come back. And, uh, and then abruptly, I was back in my body and in pain and confined, you know, feeling contained. Because um, in that experience, you're... Uh, you're an expand expanded expression of who we are here. Hmm. And, uh, and the, the only way I can think to explain that transcendent joy and radiant ecstasy would be to say, um, think of when you, a time when you really loved, felt very loving and, uh, and then multiply that, magnify that by a hundred thousand. And that's what it feels like. And then, Think of a time when you felt really truly loved and appreciated and got, you know, that got your essence and um, and then expand that. For me, when I think about how when I felt so really loved, um, what comes to mind is when my daughter was like six months old and I was patting her back, burping her and she started patting my back. And uh, just a wash <laughs> just came over me. And so if you can think about how loving that felt and this experience in the afterlife was a hundred thousand times more than that. Wow. So that's when I saw my mother sitting with me in the hospital room. And then from then on, I would go back and forth between the realities. I was, um, uh, I went back and forth for three days and my mother witnessed me coming and going in the fact that she couldn't see it physically, but she could see my response. I would say, pat her arm and say, I'm going to leave for a while and I'll be back soon. And then I go and then I come back. And she said, I look much younger and very much at peace when I would come back. And uh, at one point she was standing in, in the hallway of the hospital room and she was trying to listen to what I was saying. And, but I was up here. I could see her standing there. It just cracked me up. I started laughing and I told her, I said, don't be thinking you're sneaking in on me because I can <laughs> see you there. <laughs> so uh, both her and my husband believed uh, the experience, which was very comforting to me. When you left, um, in these repeated uh, sessions, did you go through the tunnel each time or were you just instantly there with those beings? Oh, great question. Uh, no, I was just instantly there back and forth at will. Huh. And uh, what, what, was the, what was the setting? Were they in the room with you or were you in I was with them. space? I was with them. And in- was, it, was it the same uh, iridescent colors and the light? And yes, so yes. Yeah. Ah. Interesting. And loving it. I mean, you know, that's, it was really tempting not to come back, but I'm glad I did. It worked out to be perfect. 
You said they had a sense of humor. I think you told me that. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. And I did too. You know, I mean, here you're in a strange environment, but it wasn't threatening at all. Not my experience. So when I got back and started recovering, I started reading about Raymond Moody's book. and um, Which had just come out about that time. All of it. I mean, no one had talked about it. So, uh, and I began looking at other religions and thinking about reincarnations. Uh, I had always had a spiritual bent, but this certainly enhanced it. And I learned to meditate and um, consciously stayed united with those three light beings on and off for at least six months. So... What happened eventually is after my recovery, I needed to get back engaged with my family responsibilities. And just generally, it just like faded away. Were they speaking to you during the six months time? I mean, did you feel like thought thought transference? Yes. Wow. And was it more directed toward the life you were living then? Or were they still talking about uh, the, the, the other side? Basically, well, it was some of each because I, I, it made me very curious as to what did all this mean to have this transcendent joy and radiant, unconditional love and be filled with such compassion for the human race. And so I began to ask, who am I really? Who am I really? What am I here for? And what's important in this lifetime? Uh, other than the things we do for enjoyment, but what else is important? What should we pay attention to? So immediately I had no more fear of death, no, not even a little bit. You know, it's like, why? I, I'm, I would like really to convey that to the listeners because in this time of COVID and the turmoil and people uh, being in such disastrous conditions, Part of the reason I put the NDE on was because a friend of mine was, uh, his wife was having, losing a battle with cancer. And I asked uh, her, I asked him what, how was her attitude? And she, he said, not good. And that made me think I should go ahead and post this NDE video again to give hope to people in this distressing period of time. Well, it's a transitional period of time. I want to say it that way. It's distressing, but it's a transitional time. So there was was one one question I wanted to to take you back for a minute to. Um, You said, I think that it felt when you reentered your body or perhaps it was the ND itself felt soft with no edges. What did you mean by that? Um, well, you know, here we, everything is, you know, it's hard. That's what we see. It appears to us hard. Science is telling us now with physics, that's not so. So what I saw was another reality where it doesn't appear hard. Everything is soft and flowing energetically. We're really, uh, mostly floating like waves in space. And that's what it felt like. No, uh, nothing hard 
to, you know, you just floated around. You did, there was no like grounding feeling. Hmm. That's, uh, according to physics, that's the God particle that uh, makes uh, vibrations take on a physical form. Exactly. That, that's what they just discovered recently at CERN. At the, Isn't the, that fascinating? Uh, that yes. <laughs> science is coming around to that. Uh, I mean, you know, some of the scientists like Greg Braden say physics as we've known it is no longer applicable, you know, so. Uh, but what I knew when I came back was what I took with me was my consciousness, which is has no heart edges and it can travel through space and time and that I needed to work on my consciousness. So uh, if that's the part that's eternal, when we discard the body, when we leave it, just like getting a new car, we, we didn't need that body anymore. So there was no concrete elements that were hard like that. Although you, I get this sensation of, you know, there was music and flowers and uh, joy, just joy. And that's the way the words that we use to describe it. Everything was singing. Everything was singing. And I think everything is singing here on earth. We just are not tuned into it. Yeah. And uh, man is the only one with choice. So I think all life is sacred. When you merged with the light, that brief moment, did the light communicate to you anything other than just this feeling of love that you mentioned? Not in words so much uh, as a feeling of acceptance, uh, acknowledgement, um, comfort, feelings like that, but not so much words. I mean, they they just weren't necessary. Mm. And that must have been pretty uh, powerful event. I mean, I uh, in another conversation you described it as almost like climax during intercourse that 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 it has that amazing feeling of, of of energy and at the same time openness yes and that expanded feeling of being where you're so full of love that you have compassion for everyone mm-hmm. and you're you don't have you're not just your body you're expanded so um yes i think it reminded me of that and as i say if you take a time when you feel loved and appreciated and expand it by a hundred thousand you get the feeling you'll get a touch of the feeling um when you uh some people when they come back to their bodies that they've only left it once say it's it's very difficult to get back into your body but it sounds like you came and went with relative ease i did the first time i came back uh, it felt like I was being plopped down and plunk, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, poop, here you've been flying around doing all this exotic stuff. Now, boom, you're back here. So it felt confining and my body was in pain and uh, you have to deal with those uh, physical things, which I was not dealing with after, after I got used to that again, then I came and went without that sensation. Right. The reason you came back was because they told you it was going to make a big difference to your son if you didn't. As it turns out, 
you did make a big difference to your son and he to you. Maybe, perhaps you could tell us about that. Well, you know, that was a mystery to me because I had no premonition of what was going to happen. There was no clue. Um, my son uh, was having problems in the hospital right before the year before his 30th birthday and uh, was not feeling well. He had um, uh, infections in his bloodstream and they found out that he had uh, a malfunctioned heart. And uh, this is something that athletes often die from suddenly on the basketball court because there's no warning to that. Uh, so he was in the hospital and coming in and out and we were standing by with him. And then, so, uh, in and out of the VA hospital because he was a vet and he, uh, called me one day after he'd been out of the hospital for like three months, he called me and said, mom, I'm not doing well. I'm not sleeping. I'm in tremendous pain. Uh, I want to come home and be with you. He'd been out, of course, living his own life. And I said, and will you look after me? I can't drive. So he didn't feel well enough that he was competent to drive. So I went and picked him up and brought him to my house. And he was staying with me. And we were trying to decide what to do to get treatment because um, he was leery of the verdict at uh, by the VA who told him that he did not have endocarditis again. And uh, so he felt he was clean from that. And this was another different situation. So we were deciding what to do. And um, all, all of a sudden, he like, I was in the in the back bedroom getting changing clothes in the morning. And he called me and said, Mom, come here. He was very distressed. And apparently he'd had some sort of an organ um, fail and he was writhing on the floor in pain. And so we, I helped him up and he sat on the couch and um, uh, he, he said, you know, mom, I don't know that I'm going to, we're going to be able to make it into the hospital. I think you should call an ambulance. And subsequently uh, I called the ambulance and he was sitting on the sofa with his arms outstretched and I could see him just absolutely filled, filled with light and love. And um, the same as I had experienced in my NDE. So he had, the reason I came back was to be with him in his time of transition. Um, and I could be there to help make, know the truth for him that he was eternal, an eternal being as we all are, and that he would be okay. So uh, he suffered a heart attack uh, in my kitchen, and the, the, the emergency people came and took him to the hospital. And I was saying, you know, he had to go to VA, and he said, no, he didn't. Um, they said, tell me no, because it was life-threatening. He didn't need to go to the VA. So they took him to St. John's Hospital where he got the care he needed. Uh, but meanwhile, I had already seen him fill with the light and love that I had experienced in my NDE. And 
uh, and he was radiant, even though his physical body was in uh, convulsions, he he himself was fine. And um, so I went with him to the hospital and I got permission to go see him after he'd been hooked up to all these tubes and things. Uh, the clergy person there was with me and was very supportive trying to get me help. And um, I put in some calls for other people to help and for my husband of the time to come, but I didn't reach anybody. I just got machines. So they let me go in to say, to see him one last time. And uh, his eyes were bulging out of his head and he didn't really resemble himself anymore. And they told me that if he were to survive, he would have severe brain damage because he hadn't gotten oxygen to his brain. So I reached out to him and touched him and told him that he would be all right. Uh, the doors were opening and doors were closing. It's only change, which was a song that I had heard the lyrics from a song. And as I told him we would always love him no matter what he decided to do um, and always care for him. I saw his soul leave his body and um, it hovered up above at the ceiling. And I knew then that he was making the passage and going through the tunnel and going to experience the life review and everything that I had just had, but that was years later. So he died in um, 1989, and my NDE was in 1975. Yes. How did he? How did he appear to you uh, as he as his soul was leaving? Did it? Did it? Was it the image of him, or was it like that candlelight that you saw in the spirits? No, it was. It was not like him. It was a more of a loose, and it wasn't a candlelight flame either. It was a loose, looser. It wasn't as formed. It was almost like um, a jelly kind of a thought of a feeling. What they normally would describe of as a ghost, you know, just a, a shape that can move and become different forms, but not any particular form yet. I think. He was leaving to go to the tunnel. I didn't see any of that, just the essence of him ready to leave for departure. But, but at that moment, it was a, a shared death experience that you could have see that um, vibration, that you could witness a vibration like that. I was, I was very blessed to be able to see that, and I knew it. And I was also filled with light. My head was... Um, just felt like it had no top, like it just was exploded out. And um, the, again, flooded with the love and compassion for everything, realizing how holy it is and how gifted we are to be on this planet. And um, so I, I was came back to birth him into the next realm because I had experienced some of it with the NDE. And he was there to birth me into a, a greater understanding of compassion and love and what we needed to embody while we were here on earth. So it was a mutual, very beautiful 
passage. How uh, much before his death did did you take? Uh, did you tell him about your near death experience? I I started talking to the my children when they were in their eighteen and twenty years old. I told them about my NDE, and um, but not before then, you know. And what was their reaction? Well. They were like astonished, but they found it comforting because, you know, after all, I'm the mom. So they weren't going to have doubts. I felt safe talking about it. But at the same time, they were, you know, very engaged in their lives like teenagers are. And, you know, in their early 20s, exploring life and busy with studies and getting careers going. So it was more along those lines, just like, oh, really, mom? You know, really? Yeah, really. And uh, no, I don't think any of them read any of the NDE material uh, that I said was here for them to look at. But, you know. Were they uh, did they become interested in uh, religion at all? Did they attend church? Uh, They attended church off and on um, at I let them determine what church they wanted to go to. So primarily they went to um, Methodist churches who had better teen programs <laughs> than, <laughs> than uh, uh, and more fun things to do, more yes. outings. I was uh, raised Catholic, but I didn't continue to practice at that time. The description you have given of your, of your son on the couch in the position of Christ with his arms outstretched and his head dropped must have been very powerful for you. It was unbelievable. It's so difficult even to uh, claim it. And one of the things that I found is that it's difficult to talk about it because people don't know where to frame that, what to do with it, and how did you see that? And it's just like a just topic that we don't discuss in our society. But as far as it was, again, it, my life was never the same after my NDE. And then after my son died, I realized what a gift the NDE was to me so I could comfort him. And I also had, uh, meanwhile, I had been divorced and um, was engaged to another man who had cancer. And I was able to be with him in his hospital room and. I also saw his soul leave his body. Oh, yes. Tell us about that. Well, he apparently had cancer when we were dating, and uh, uh, it was undiagnosed. And it started out as lung cancer and eventually took over his uh, whole being, uh, infecting his, his brain and all of his functions. But... Um, he was uh, he was just an astonishing person because they told him he was going to die, but they didn't tell him how long he might have to live. So he de- he decided he wasn't ready to die. He wanted to live, and so he did everything he could think of to do. We got him massages and uh, uh, tried to make him as comfortable as possible, and. Uh, we did a lot of uh, scrabble and puzzles and things to um, 
bring comfort, but uh, he was, uh, uh, when he got threatened with the, the death part of it, uh, I was uh, with him in his, his apartment hospital, his apartment room, which we had set up with a hospital bed. And I was uh, taking care of him. And he said, like, why can't I come to your house? And I said, because I, I want to be here with you. And I, I don't want you uh, having to move and be uncomfortable. So I moved in with him and stayed with him. And uh, they had given him IVs and things to make him comfortable. And he started falling out of bed and losing consciousness and was in tremendous pain and, and very frightened. So after a prolonged weekend of this, um, I called the doctors and said, you know, we needed to take him into the hospital. So they admitted him right away into the hospital and said, you know, that he was dying and he had the congested breathing. And I just hopped up into the bed and put him in my arms and held him. And uh, so subsequently, he, uh, he and I started doing prayers and holding him in the truth and acknowledging that he was a sacred being as I believe we all are. And, um, and that's when he left his, his soul left his body. And I saw it go up the hospital room as well in our room, not an emergency room, but in his room. And, um, so it was after he died in 1987 and my son died in 1989. And I, and I realized that this NDE had been such a gift to me that I should speak about it. So when I moved out to California on a spiritual quest, I thought I was going to be a minister. And I was guided instead to talk about my NDE. And so I started doing that uh, for several years. And uh, uh, because I wanted to try to get people to look at life as a two-sided coin. We can see the one side where we're used to living every day, but the other side is also there. And it's not that we disappear or, or just rot. We go, our essence goes on, not our physical body, but our essence. So I did that for several years. And um, that's how I came to speak out about it. Otherwise, you know, I'm a pretty private person. After I decided and moved back to St. Louis from California, I didn't speak about it anymore. Uh, you know, that felt complete to me. I had made myself available. I had made that video uh, because a woman came to hear me speak. And she said her five-year-old son had ran out in the street after a ball and been instantly killed by a bus. And after she heard me talk, she said, um, is there any way that you, how can I explain this to my other children as they get older? Is there any way that you could help me do that? So I told her I would make a video that she could show them as they grew up and bring them comfort. And that's how I came to make the original video. Otherwise, I probably would not have done that. And then I, uh, but 
No, I mean, seeing what a difference hearing the and having people at least consider the possibility of an afterlife makes all the difference in the world. For myself, I feel certain there is, but other people need to make, we're all a choice. So we need to um, make those decisions for ourselves. Did your fiance draw comfort from the, or from your NDE experience? Yes, he did. You know, we talked about it quite a bit while his uh, health began to degrade and uh, uh, he understood completely. He was at peace with the whole, with dying because he knew he, although I wouldn't see him, he would, he would be fine. And actually I wore his watch for like six months. I have a big man's watch. I like to have him by me. And, uh, uh, so that was something I did to keep the connection and, um, going. And one day I was, uh, in a board meeting actually for art St. Louis, which you mentioned in earlier. And, uh, I, uh, we were having a retreat to examine our goals as, as those boards do. And I left uh, on the break and went to get a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden the watch just flew across the room on the floor. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I picked it up and I looked at it and I said, I guess it's time for me to let go. And that was his way of telling me to, to move on. So it's been a whole incredible series of experiences. Uh, and I, again, I feel so blessed uh, to have had them. And they, the whole thing totally transformed my life as I tried to make sense of it and began to pray and meditate and seek out answers, uh, which I, I wrote some of my things in this uh, booklet. Uh, simple spiritual secrets, which it talks about how if we keep coming from choosing love in our everyday life, it will transform our life. If we choose to respond with our um, in our everyday circumstances, instead of just reacting, if we take a minute, take a couple of deep breaths and then respond and choose to come from love, did that very that one thing alone will transform our experiences mm. into grace. So uh, I, I have this available on my Etsy site for a dollar. Uh, you can download it. You have to charge a fee on Etsy, but yes. God bless them. So uh, <laughs> it's there if anybody is interested. Great. The watch reminded me that th- three months or so after your son died, you were at a seminar and had this vision of him. That's true. I did. Tell us about that. Sure. It was prior to my move to LA. I was in a seminar uh, and they had us asking questions and then seeing what answer came from our inner guidance. And one of the assignments was to what would you pray for if you had to pray? So we had prayer partners and I said to my prayer partner, whom I had never known before. I just said, I want to pray for my son because he died 
uh, in November, and I can still feel him energetically hanging around. And I want to reassure him and let him know it's okay for him to go ahead and play in these other realms. So we prayed, and during as during the prayer, he appeared off to the side of me in in the air, you know, like a hologram. Hmm. He had no substance, but he had on one of his favorite shirts. <laughs> and um, and during the prayer, he just he just looked at me and he looked at me and he said, "Okay, mom, got it." And then he did kind of this laugh he did when he was kind of amused, like, he, you know, it's like, I gotcha. And, <laughs> and then he disappeared just like that. Wow. And uh, the prayer partner did not see him, but I certainly did. Wow. So it's a pretty amazing place where we live. Yes. Now, I, I have to ask you, this experience, how did it change your um, way of doing art? Well, what I started to do was my goal in making art was to imbue and reveal the innate beauty in things, to uh, let them sing, let, let the vibrational energy sing. And um, so I began to, that was my whole point in what I would paint. And what I would um, make, I went, I did a lot of printmaking and I started doing uh, some sculptures that were wall reliefs. And um, I don't know what you know about printmaking, but uh, I was studying at Wash U and they have a master printmaking uh, facility there that Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. And the woman who was in, in charge was a paper making expert so I she and I worked together for uh, for years a couple of years there and so I was making these big um, handmade paper wall reliefs that came off the wall I found that I could make paper embed metal in it and then more paper on it so I could bend it and I um, made one for um, a a retired living here in St. Louis that spanned from went from the floor up to the skylight. It spanned three floors with all these beautiful panels that were just waves going up the wall to the highlight. And because of that, when I moved to LA, I entered a contest, a national contest to do a similar piece of work for a building in Chicago. And they were interested in doing something different, either with fabric or paper. And I won the, I won the competition. So I moved, I asked my professor, Joan Hall, if I could use her studio while she was out of town for the summer. And for three months, I worked on this gigantic uh, piece of art, these panels that were to go up. And at the back of the top one, I asked my prayer group to send me prayers. And I put them on the back of the panel that was closest to the skylight. And I set the intention that waves of love would go out from Chicago, which is in our heartland of America, to embrace and flood the whole world with love and light. 
And that hung there. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I kind of doubt it. It was like 20 years ago. So what I learned from that was the intention behind what we do is what makes a huge difference. And with my artwork, I recently did one where um, I was guided to make a diptych, which is a two panel piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. And the top of it was the heavens, it was sunset. And the bottom was the earth with the water being reflected in it. And the, there was a gap between the two panels, just about a half inch. So I asked all my friends and people and other artists if I should hang them together or apart. And they all voted and everything. Well, after I had that inquiry, I realized that the most important painting part of the whole painting was the gap. That what I was trying to convey to people was that heaven's here, total, complete, a beautiful, wonderful, energetic field that we live in. And we're at a denser vibration down here. And it's up to us to close that gap, that the veil is thin, but we're all at choice to say, it's like getting in an elevator. You get to choose the floor you get off on. If you want to get off, there's no, you know, on the first floor and swim, or if you want to get up on the second floor and go to the gym, or if you want to, for me, I always wanted to go to the top. So. we're a choice and we have to seek and uh, invite in the consciousness change by affecting our own personal behavior on a daily basis. Uh, And that's what, but again, we're a choice. So I just put it out there. It's all up to people to decide what they want to do. But if we can respond with more loving kindness, we'll close that gap. And more of heaven, what we refer to as heaven, will be experienced here. I think that the journey and the adventure has just begun. I think this is an exciting time of awakening. And, um, uh, you know, people speak about getting goosebumps. And what is happening when they get goosebumps is the truth is being spoken. And your vibration rate and mine is being raised. So if we pay attention to those goosebumps, I call them the rushes, then they expand. And the more that expands, the happier we are, the vibration rate changes, and the more grace our life is filled with. Yes. In a conversation we had the other day, we noted that when you hear something that is true, that's fundamentally true that that can give you goosebumps that can raise the the hair on the back of your neck that it's so important that we associate ourselves with truth as opposed to all the lies that people are telling us and that we tell ourselves sometimes nancy we are just about out of time for today but i'm sure people would like to know where they might see your some of your art is there a, a website Uh, Yes, there is. Thank you for asking that. I have my own website, which is nancyartoriginals.com. I also want to say I'm very interested in creating a dialogue. So we've gotten such a response from the YouTube video 
that was created in 1992 that I want to continue a dialogue and I'm going to do it with permission to bloom. So people's questions that they hear my story and they want to know more or they question it, it provokes them to think in a different direction. I want to open that dialogue. So the permission to bloom website will also be there and a chance to enter into a discussion because I think it's important to engage people in the discussion. Right. And if people go to our YouTube channel, which is NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, beneath your show, like almost all YouTubes, they can comment and you can reply. So you can get a dialogue going there as well. Exactly. It's a great, wonderful opportunity we're in to transform our world in a way that we direct. It's called co-creation. So I'm very excited to be a part of this, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my experience with NDE. Thank you so much for your work. Oh, thank you, Nancy. This has been a great hour to spend (laughs) for me, for sure, and I'm sure for the listeners as well. Nancy Lapari, thank you so much for sharing your story. If listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our more than 400 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>